0: Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for coming back. But for everyone else out there, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer, soda, water, coffee, tea, kombucha, juice, in the fridge, whatever you like. Get yourself something, get comfy. We're here today to have a conversation with somebody that I've never talked to before in my ding-dong life, but that's the power of the internet and having a podcast. That's what we do. So, I am sitting here today with a a new friend, a patient friend, thankfully. I appreciate that. We'll get into that in a minute cuz I feel it's really important to hold yourself accountable when you mess things up, and I was a total ding-dong this afternoon, but Please make some noise, everyone on the internet, people of planet Earth, for my friend. Hopefully, we'll see how it goes. Aaron Watson. Thanks for having me. I'm (laughs) I'm excited to be uh, better friends after this. Yeah. So, the people of the internet are happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're here. Happy Tuesday. How are you living?
1: Life is good, man. Um, I, you know the the craziness of the last year if it can't put into perspective how uh blessed we all are. Um it, a lot of people suffer and a lot of people go through a tough times. So just walking through each day with some gratitude.
0: Absolutely. What a what a what a nice 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 perspective to have. It's been pretty, you know, interesting over the past couple of weeks now that, you know, uh we're starting to turn some sort of a like a, a curve with you know, vaccine distribution and things like that. And people are tending to be a little bit more positive when I talk to them. And it seems like, um, all, all terror aside, I think the past year has done a lot of good for a lot of people that were able to take the time to kind of just be with themselves and focus on what is really important to them. It kind of cut out a lot of the static and the noise, at least for me, I don't know how you feel about that.
1: For sure. Yeah. And I, I think you know the, the one of the things I think about is my parents who are obviously older than me have, have been vaccinated, which is just, you know, they, they were the ones who I was primarily concerned for. Um, and, and I can remember when we were at the beginning of it, I, I was reading really smart people being like, you know, vaccines take five years to develop. Like we are not going to be out of the woods anytime soon. And what do you know? It's like a year later and we've, you know, being, being in America, like we have this distribution and in certain countries, they have this distribution of it. Um, but it's also an opportunity to kind of shake free from the stuff you might have been stuck in in the past, old habits. Um, they they kind of had to die hard when the entire world changed.
0: You know, it, it, it blows my mind that there are some people that are... Um, Little like they're questioning the idea of like you know how quick a vaccine was made and everything. Living in the time that we live in, like your your cell phone couldn't do what it could do now five years ago. I remember ten years ago it would take me two days to download one MP3 off the internet. Like things have evolved and it's a lot easier to do things a lot quicker thanks to these you know these things and technology and just advancements. And also when you know whenever you're kind of. Put to it, like you get put in a really tight situation, you can make some really incredible things happen.
1: Well, even further, you know, there's an interview with the the founder of Moderna, and he's talking about how him and his team had the I don't know, formula is the right word or, or the specific um, kind of solution for this mRNA vaccine two days after getting it. They received it in um, I don't remember exactly. Maybe it was February, or, or you know. March of 2020, they had it sequenced and they had their solution ready to go. And then it was the requisite regulatory hurdles to overcome, and I'm not trying to, I don't actually really want to stray into politics too much, but just to even consider that in the interview I was listening to, he plainly says like, yeah, that's how, that's why I got into this technology. It's because we could turn around a solution in such a short period of time, not for full production, but to just develop something Mm -hmm. like that. And so, you know, what my hope is, is that, you know, I was, I was talking about this at the friend of the other day, you know, th- you ever heard the thing like the four minute mile, the first time a, a guy, uh, Bannister ran the four minute mile, and then all these other people immediately ran a four minute mile mm. after him because it was proven that it was possible. So this has to be a similar moment for us, just, you know, across the board, like there's a lot more that is possible than we're probably uh, giving credit to or acknowledging. And the... I don't know, the bar has to be raised because we're, we're, we're facing problems. People are facing problems at a personal level, at a community level, at a macro level. And we have to have the, the audacity to say, this can be wildly better. And we have to go for it.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you. I think that the the human, we're capable of so much just by tapping into the human spirit and really like um, taking advantage of our like determination and our focus. And I think that sometimes it's easy to kind of get lost and let that stuff not push you in the way that it can. But whenever, you know, for lack of a better term, when shit gets real, you tend to see things uh, really happen a lot quicker. And I think that that's what we're in right now so it's super cool to see um it's a bit scary you know there's always people that are going to be naysayers of things but uh eh, i guess that's gonna what are you gonna do what are you gonna do uh it's it's hard to it's hard to uh convince other adults about things that they're passionate about regardless of you know whether they're right or wrong or whatever i don't know they're adults and they have opinions so what can you really do about it so Aaron, who are you? What do you do? Let's get into that for anybody that's just like, you know, who, who, who's this guy that Brian's talking to today? And why wh- wh- he seems like he has a good head on his shoulders. Who is he?
1: I hope so. So, uh, I am uh, born and raised Pittsburgher. I am the CEO and co-founder of a digital media company called Piper creative. Uh, what Piper Creative does is works with other brands, predominantly uh, SMBs and medium sized businesses, with their digital media. So we get hired to help a company look great on LinkedIn. We get hired to help a company look great on YouTube. We look uh, get hired to you know be uh, a kind of marketing uh, concierge. Sometimes people use a term called a fractional CMO, um, where someone you know. You think about a lot of SMBs. Uh, you know, they've limited marketing budgets, and maybe they have someone on their team with all the the spunk and energy, and they don't necessarily have that kind of larger strategic view. We help them just make better decisions. What I saw when I uh, co-founded the company a little over three years ago with my co-founder Hannah is there was a lot of companies, particularly here in Pittsburgh, although we serve clients elsewhere too that were just making some really weird choices they were making weird choices in terms of what to invest in where to invest in where their perception of a well-spent marketing budget was versus what was actually effective and you know some of the quintessential examples of that were i was you know seeing my own consumption of media outside of live sports um, you know, completely gone, and and obviously now with the pandemic and streaming, it's it's just at a completely different level. But wasn't consuming linear TV. If I was watching live sports, I was headed over to Twitter or group message or somewhere else during the commercials. And yet, there were no major Pittsburgh brands focusing on a YouTube presence, focusing on um, really having proficiency there. And part of the reason was if you evaluate the agencies uh, in town, there are some good ones. But you know, I, I say this. I'll, I'll give talks at at different universities around Pittsburgh, and the the kids' eyebrows will just you know blow out of their forehead. And I'm sure you fall in the same category here. There are 25 25-year-old marketing agencies who don't have 25 subscribers on YouTube. These are companies with millions of dollars in their annual budget, and obviously. A majority of that is being designated towards the efforts for which they are hired by their clients. But every marketing agency, I would guess, has at least tangentially started to take Google search seriously and the SEO or search engine optimization of their website seriously. And yet, YouTube being the world's second largest search engine, owned by the same company, uh, is just wildly underappreciated. And so you have these other characters out there that are, you know, doing something similar to what I described with Piper. We're selling ourselves in some instances as that consigliere consultant advisor on where marketing dollars should be spent. And you've got someone like why, if they can't even take uh, that type of common sense approach for themselves, how are they possibly going to give good advice for their clients? And so um, that's what we do. It's, it's working, Um, you know, for, for being three years old, for being completely bootstrapped, meaning no outside investors. um, Neither I nor Hannah have some crazy wealthy uncle or aunt or parent who's, you know, (laughs) funding the the whole thing. And like a pretend, Mm -hmm. you know, whale of a client Mm -hmm. Um, it's a real business with, You know, a lot of uh, sweat equity poured into it. Uh, But, you know, it's working because we were right in that there was a need. And we've been humble and diligent enough to put in the work ourselves as practitioners to be able to drive real insights and um, results for our clients.
0: I think that. What happens so much with people that own businesses or maybe somebody like me that's in a band or you have a podcast, whatever it is, you have some sort of a a business. Um, I think it's just like having that focus on thinking about marketing and that perspective of putting yourself outside of your business, like just putting yourself into the shoes of a customer or a potential set of eyeballs that's going to come across your product. I think it's so easy for people to ignore it in a way or like be very objective in terms of like, you know, how, what am I trying to sell? How am I going to get it across people's eyeballs? Where are people looking nowadays? And it's so easy to be like, oh, I have a metal band. So all I should do is find heavy metal blogs on the internet that nobody goes on and post links there but you could really be wild. Like, you know, my band, we've done things like, Oh, let's, how can we, what, what do people, Oh, they like beer. How about let's, let's make a beer with a brewery or like, let's make a hot sauce. Let's do things outside of what you would normally do. And it'll help bring in those eyeballs. And like, I think that it's important to have people like you and your company to help give people that insight into like different ways and different places that they can, uh, Market their things,
1: and precisely to that point, there's a truism that you hear from different uh, folks that like work in startups, right? And you've got founders, maybe it's their first rodeo, or they've you know they're on to a second or third um, company. and the truism is or the the aphorism is, First-time founders focus on the product. So in your case, as a metal band, they focus on what type of music are we going to play? What's our look going to be? And, and like you said, that kind of very self-referential, like what is this thing that we are that we're building? And second-time founders focus on distribution. Because they've built something, they've built some great product, and then stood there. And you know, in the field of dreams sense, uh, if you build it, they will come. Is almost never true. It's <laughs> usually you got to get people there and you got to have a repeatable sustainable system for getting people there, particularly if you want to build something big. And so what, you know, I spend all my time thinking about what we as a team focus on is how do we get butts in seats? How do we amplify our own distribution because the success of our business depends on that. And then let's be utterly you know, transparent and open in sharing the insights that we've gleaned through that hard work so that other people can also get distribution. Because as a native Pittsburger, Hannah's a native Pittsburger, we see, and, and you know, through my own podcast episodes, like we've seen some fantastic technologists, some fantastic entrepreneurs who are up to really cool stuff, but people just don't know about it. And so if you could solve the storytelling problem, the marketing problem, the distribution problem, there's real economic impact for people. Like like the, the ground truth of that is, is that is more jobs, that is greater economic security, and all sorts of downstream uh, implications from that I'm very mission driven in that. I love doing it here in Pittsburgh and it is, um, you know, a a lesson that I'm still in the process of learning. Like I'm not coming on here, you know, patting myself on the back, telling like, Hey, you know, guru Aaron's got all the answers. (laughs) That's, That's so far from the truth. Uh, but the reality is, is that we have figured some things out. We want to make sure that we share that openly And we really like other Pittsburghers to get it so that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats.
0: Yeah, I think that it's really important to not underestimate the power of teamwork. And it's really easy, I think, especially for people on my side of the aisle, the, the artists and the musician types to like really like kind of like like this is my thing and i'm gonna do it on my own terms and this whole like you know you romanticize this idea of like not bringing in people to help you do this and that because the system's against us and blah 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 but i think that there's a lot of just like counterproductivity in that and it's really interesting because so much of what i do it's almost like if you start talking about Oh, like I'm going to put money into marketing and budgeting and bringing in people. It's like, there's this like sort of like pseudo selling out sort of thing, but it's like how, like, if you really want this to grow, you need to like trust somebody that's really good at what they're doing and put them on your team. Like you have a really good, you asked, you know, so-and-so to be your guitar player because they're really good at what they do. They have focused on this craft for a really, really long time. It's like, okay, now you have this really cool album, but you need somebody to help you market it. You don't know anything about album marketing. It's like you might want to tell yourself, you don't want to tell yourself that like you can't do this on your own. It's like really uh, not something that I think a lot of artists like to admit is like that they need help. I mean, that's just people in general, right? Like people are like, I need help. Um, But I think that it's really important for people to look into ways of reaching out to outside sources to help them, you know, get their stuff out there because I don't know what I'm doing in terms of marketing. I have no idea.
1: Right. Right. And, and, you know, you, you can probably correct me or advise me if this is an an off base metaphor, but like Alice Cooper had Shep Gordon and I watched the Supermensch, you know, documentary and it was Shep Gordon coming up with these different, you know, PR and marketing stunts you know, in conjunction with Alice, it wasn't, it wasn't that he was just out there, you know, solely representing the band and, you know, taking them in creative directions that they didn't want to, but, you know, I've, I've used the term consigliere here. Like like it, it is a, it is a pattern that is replicable across different endeavors and whether it be, you know, a nonprofit trying to change the world, you know, there's a lo- once again, a local Pittsburgh, uh, nonprofit, 412 food rescue is putting food in people's stomachs who are food insecure. Layla's Le- Ronda is a fantastic marketer. She is she's one of the better marketers in the city of Pittsburgh, and that's why she's fed so many people. That's why her app is now distributed, and she's raised enormous amounts of funding because she tells a great story about food waste, about the technology needed to help people in need, and you know it, it, it's a replicable skill set and a replicable kind of playbook to grow whatever it is that you want to grow and really then comes down to what's your mission. So if it, so if it is your case that there is a mission behind the music that we have, we have a certain message, we have a certain viewpoint, we have a certain, you know, thing that we want to bring to the world through our art. My, my business partner, Hannah is an artist. She's a, a, a fine uh, art uh, painter. And you know what? That's a really, really hard career to, you know, turn into anything sort of sustainable. So she's partnered with me, we're building this business and you know what, as we continue to grow, as you know, we get an office, as we put out more content, as our audience grows, a lot of people are going to see that uh, art that she's painting, and it's it's kind of the gateway to that. So, um, you know, I, I deeply empathize with the the artists out there that struggle with, you know, that that kind of sensibility and, and that perspective, and I, I I'm always kind of hesitant. You know, I I feel like I, sometimes I'm opinionated. And, you know, that, that can rub people the wrong way, but it's coming from a place of like, this is, this is the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is that, you know, the gatekeepers of yesteryear are drastically less powerful. If you want to get into MoMA, sure. Yeah, they're still going to have to do some glad handing in whatever New York City, Manhattan circle. I, like, I don't even know how that works, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. Uh, but the, re- the reality is, is that if you want to make a living selling paintings, I would argue that it has literally never been easier to do that if you put in the work and you buy into the marketing and you see these avenues for distribution.
0: Mhm. I think the thing that is probably the most intimidating for a lot of people especially not coming from like I guess on my side of the fence, right, would be just like the 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 barrier of entry, like the cost of like marketing. But I think that there's a lot of value in it if you are marketing to the right people. And I think that that's the thing that intimidates a lot of people on the music side of things, because there's no shortage of like music PR companies that you could go online and hire to like, you know, send your album to like a bunch of bullshit blogs and Spotify playlists and things that don't really do anything. And, you know, and like you could be a couple grand later, it's like nothing has happened, but you've gotten some numbers. So it's like, how do you, turn all that stuff into real growth. Like where do you know how to put your money? How do you build a relationship with somebody that is like on your side of the fence that actually not only do they understand how to make your product grow, but like finding somebody that actually cares about your particular product and knows specifically where to put it. Because at least in the music side of things, there are so many people that they don't care it doesn't matter if they like your band or not. You know, they're just going to email it to the same, they're going to promote it to the same sort of people, no matter what. And like developing those relationships and finding somebody has always been my hardest struggle. Because anytime I've tried to ever partner with somebody that has like a a music focus, it's so easy to tell that they don't really have a, a, like an invested interest in me as a creator or my product and really making it, Skyrocket. They would just be more. They're more interested in like, well, let's take you know the twenty five hundred for this month or whatever it is. I'll send it out to my blogs and do whatever, and then that's it. It's like, yo, if you if we actually cared about this, it's like we could be making this happen monthly, and we could all be making more money. But it's like finding somebody that actually cares about your product.
1: It's really challenging. Yeah, we—I interviewed Will Dazombak, who's uh, Wiz Khalifa's manager, mm. about you know the early days and he, to get into that position where he is now. You know, a part of Wiz Wiz's business, they partner on the kind of different endeavors. There, it started as you know he was a, an assistant, he was a, a gopher. he was someone who you know had to prove his skin in the game before he actually got some real skin in the game. Um, and I think that you know, there's a reason I, I referenced Shep Gordon. Same thing. This was a this was a manager who had his management fee, and because he was of a level that uh, a, a level of skill, he was able to help elevate those acts, and you know, more than returned the the value with which he was compensated. And so I, I think that if, if I'm thinking about your you you and your your audience of of fellow artists who might be coming from that framework. I think that, you know, being rigorous, but recognizing if that is a shortcoming, like part of me and Hannah's coming together is, you know, something similar. It's not exactly the same, but you know, I, I love biz dev. I love sales. I love, you know, I've had four pretty big sales calls already this week. And those were like the four highlights of my week up until I got to talk to you Sykes. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's what I'm about because I don't know that's just however the genetic concoction that came together, uh, that, that's how, how I popped out. You got to find that complimentary skill set where she's, she's not so interested in that. And we understand that we have a very kind of clear division of church and state. I'm not picking any of the aesthetic choices about the company. I, I very little input on, you know, logos, thumbnails, graphics, Mm. all that stuff, because she's obviously exponentially better than me (laughs) at it. And so, um, you know, I think that's still the base framework that people should be pursuing and find someone with that hunger. That's not maybe fully seasoned. Um, you know, if, I don't know this, but you know, if you hear these other like super accomplished managers and they're basically at the point now where you have to be already, you know, level three, level four, level five, and they're trying to elevate you to that kind of very next level to, if they're already that established manager, you're you're looking for someone who's ready to hustle with you and, having the humility to say, okay, you know, we'll go further together. If you're going to, if you're going to come to an agency, the the reason most of our clients come to us and most of our clients are are in the B2B space. So they are selling, you know, legal services or uh, software or some other service that another business needs. And that comes with a relatively high contract value. Mm -hmm. So they can justify, you know, another example is, you know, a hospital that say, you know, we need to bring in, Five hundred new patients this year, because between the recurring physical therapy appointments and the insurance and all that stuff, like that—that that is a, a a real revenue driver for us. We can then come in, and what they're paying for is number one, much easier management. It's not like you're hiring someone full time who needs to be, you know, uh, kind of managed on a day to day basis and handheld. They're hiring us because they know functionally we're going to get. From point A to point D, uh, point B, effectively and you know without issue. and we have an expertise that would take them a while to recruit for. So to if you were to kind of articulate that, that service offering that I said before, someone who has the you know practical digital marketing experience and the track record of getting results on YouTube, that's a hard thing to just even find, let alone effectively recruit and hire for into your organization. And there's a speed component to coming to a partner like us, but we're not necessarily going to be the right solution for someone who has a shoestring budget and doesn't quite know what they need, and maybe hasn't even completely built out the business model yet. If if you don't have that, um, you know, uh, way in which you already monetize, humming to at least a, a low degree, then it's really hard for us to come in and throw gasoline. When there isn't a flame
0: yet. Yeah. Use an imperfect metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's just like the I, I you know, very, very I guess that's just the 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 artistic uh I don't know what word I'm looking for. I was trying to find a better word than struggle. But it's just like I guess it's where a lot of things plateau or the ceiling of some sort that like so many people hit because it's like, you know, maybe you have this really great product, but you just don't know how to market it, how to cut through all the noise and how to, uh, efficiently get to this point where it's like, you know, you've done everything that you can financially or creatively or whatever, but you still need like a little bit more just to get, to get above, to get like, you know, have the means to maybe get somebody on your team that will really help you. Break you through the ceiling? Is the I don't I have no idea. But one of the cool things that I've seen is actually on my show. A lot of the younger people that I've had on my show over the past year or two, particularly people in like the hip hop scene, like these will be like kids that are like in their early twenties, maybe even late teens. A lot of them come onto the show, and there will be like four or five kids in this room, and they're all together, and they have like none of these they're they're all this. they're all starting off but one's like the one's the talent one is the manager one is like the social media person that's just taking videos and photo the whole time and you know and there's a couple people that are just like i don't know if they're doing anything besides just maybe hanging out but it's like they have like they're all there together like it's like this unit of people that like are starting from the like ground zero up and they're all working together, which is maybe not too dissimilar from uh, the Wiz Khalifa thing that you were telling me about. And I think that's like what, you know, I've only seen that happen in like the hip hop realm. There's no like rock band that I've ever met that has like just a social media guy and a manager following them around. And it's like, maybe that's something that, you know, we could look into like people that are in my side of things, but then it's like, well, okay, I'm also in my mid thirties. It's like, how many mid 30 somethings do I know that want to go on this journey with me?
1: (laughs) Or how many you've hit the nail on the head. You've hit the nail on the head there. That the reason those kids are able to do that is because when you're at the beginning and you're just hungry and you have, nothing and yeah. when i say nothing you don't even maybe you have belief but you don't really have that ego that builds up over years of i'm important i've put in my time i've done the work i've <laughs> done this that it's, it's so easy to bring uh, kind of extreme humility like the the kid who joins from as a social media manager for uh you know a fledgling hip-hop act that requires a kind of baseline humility that's hard to maintain as you age. There, there's a, a, a general desire by the mind to uh, tie itself to that importance. So when I hear that for you, I say, okay, I, I don't think you're gonna find that as a, as a fellow 30 year old. I just, I, I, I don't think that there's going to be that many folks willing to put in the time, but can you, uh, you know, cross a generational border and say, hey, kid in your early twenties, who's, you know, into this similar genre, into this similar scene, I'll show you the ropes. I'll tell you all the things that I wish I knew over that course of time. And you help, you know, infuse my, my, my brand, my voice, what I've built with a little bit of that younger ethos. There's a degree to that. That's once again, come back to me and Hannah, like Hannah's started the company, when she was 21. I was, you know, 27. I'm it on the map here, but like, you know, she didn't have all the kind of, you know, business shops from, from not that I have that many, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a a micro generational divide there. And, you know, once again, it's back to the people that are hungry, Mm -hmm. hungry wolves run faster.
0: I think that, you know, we're tying a couple different parts of this conversation together now, in terms of earlier, you were talking about what is your story as a, like a business or an artist or whatever, like you need to have some sort of a story, which, you know, in order to have a story, that means you're trying to communicate with an audience or communicate with the customer. And uh, so much, especially online is like, you know, it's kind of like a youth driven culture. Youth always drives the culture. So if you're, you know, I think it's smart to have people on the team that are maybe in, you know, that 20 something range where it's like the majority of people that are really looking for like, what is the new cool thing online? How do you tell your story? Having somebody maybe that is a part of that generation to help you tell that story or maybe help you just like at least pivot your narrative. If we want to get all business talky into something that's going to help get their attention, because sometimes I'm very well aware, you know, that maybe my story as being like, Hey, you know, I'm this local artist, in his thirties that lives in Pittsburgh and I talk with other artists and blah, blah blah maybe that's like, okay, well, why is some twenty year old kid gonna want to hear what I have to say? But a lot of them hit me up to come on the show. So fortunately I've found some way to sort of cross that gap. But I think that, you know, it would be very, very beneficial to maybe have those people um not only like having that on the podcast, but also maybe like you said, Maybe I should reach out to a younger kid like, hey, you have any interest in helping me with social media or helping me with video ideas or this and that? Like, what do you think? Like, even if it's like you don't need to actually post this for me, but just kind of being like a just somebody to bounce ideas off of and just like, yo, is this whack or is this something that is interesting? (laughs) You know, like. Exactly. And, and even that, so like,
1: like what you just said, that proposal is a starting place of humility. Cause there's plenty of people that wouldn't even be willing to go say to someone younger, Hey, you know, things that I don't know, and I need access to some of that info. So, right. You're talking about, you know, humility right there. But the other side of it is like, even, even as you kind of t- like told a, 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 you know, shorter metaphorical version of your story, one of the thinkers about marketing that I admire the most is a man by the name of Donald Miller. And he always says that, and and he's a a man that like studies narrative down to like the academic level, right? And he says, the most important thing that you can be in any story is the guide. You're not Luke Skywalker, you're Yoda, to use an older Star Wars metaphor. Um, And so like, that's what, you know, think about how I talked about Piper at the beginning, Right we're going to help you with X. We're going to unlock Y for you. And it's not really about who we are and what we've accomplished and too many details about ourselves. It's, I know that most humans, most of the time are walking around with jobs to be done. They're looking to, you know, buy a screw gun so that they can put a picture on the wall and hang a photo of a, a cherished family memory. Okay, maybe I could be that cherished family memory, but I'm probably not their family. So I'm like, I'm obviously not going to fill that job. But if I could be the screw gun, then they're going to want to keep that screw gun around because there's going to be more jobs to be done like that in the future. And so in that same sense, like, even as I think about, you know, you and and, and inevitably, I'm I'm, you know, assuming that you have a little bit of an audience, you, you, you kind of have this distribution channel and these kids who are hustling to you know build their own name as a musical act are saying, okay, one of the, the jobs to be done here is that distribution that Sykes has accrued to some way, shape or form. But the next level of that is, let me help you avoid the 10 most common mistakes I've seen music artists make. And maybe that's in Pittsburgh, maybe it's not in Pittsburgh, but here, here's another solution that I'm bringing to you at the guide level. The guides are always okay. And you can go all the way like mega, mega, you know, macro metaphorical to like, you know, evolution, right? The, the, the person that is continually unlocking doors for others, the person that is continually enabling others, nature has a way of keeping those characters around because that's what makes nature work, right? But all the way down to the micro level, you know, very selfishly, everyone is walking through the world with blinders they're walking through listening to their story living their story and so your capacity to make it very plain very simple very legible here's the role i can play in your story and make that super clear that's when things that's when things get crazy because it's you know We put out so, so much content over the last three years and like so much of it falls on deaf ears or is missed or is not even retained by the people viewing it, let alone the people that it's not even distributed to. We talked about distribution at the beginning. Then there's the people that actually it's distributed and it's not even retained. But what's retained is, man, you really helped me think about something differently. Man, you really opened my eyes to... X when I was otherwise not aware of it. And that's how you're, that's the legacy you're ever going to leave with someone. I'm sure your, your favorite acts, the legacy that they'll leave within your mind is they made me feel something. They elevated my understanding of what a live show could be, what a, what a great record could be. And you know, that's, that's what you're trying to deliver in, in whatever form, whatever type of media you choose. That's what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah. I think that it's so, easy. I mean, it took me a long time just as a creator, you know, to understand like what to understand, like how music is a a conversation between yourself and the audience and to stop creating art from such a selfish perspective and like creating art that has a purpose for other people. I mean, there are some people that do enjoy just selfish art. You know, I think a lot of modern art to bring up MoMA again, a lot of that stuff is like unapologetically selfish and there's definitely a market for it. But, um, I think, you know, I'm more of a a music guy. So I, I, find that, you know, having a conversation with somebody through a story that you're telling in a song format is the best way to resonate with somebody else. And the other thing too, with, you know, my podcast over time, I remember, just having a really hard time trying to figure out like what is the purpose of the podcast and like forgetting, you know, like that is like my show. And this was actually, somebody told me this one time where they were just like, I don't even know why they said this to me, but what they had said was, Hey, I really like the show. You know, don't ever forget that like the show is about you and like, it's cool that you have guests on and things like that. But, People listen to the show for you, so don't get too caught up in like who you have or who you don't have on the show and I was like oh i guess I guess you're right, I guess it is about like me and i i I guess maybe it's because I always try to avoid bringing up things that are too personal on the show or just like being like a guide for the guests that come on but uh also it's like, well, why are people gonna come by every week if it's just like me and then a random person if i if there isn't like some sort of a a defined steady sort of thing. That's a constant throughout every episode. And I guess that needs to be me and my ding dong personality. It's just really easy. Sometimes I don't want to like step on people's toes or like a guest or interrupt people and, you know, make it all about me. I already feel like I have too much going on. I have a podcast and these bands and I'm doing all this stuff. It's just like, ah, I don't want this to be about me. Everything else that I do is about me, but then my, then I don't have a story. Then I'm not telling a story.
1: Yeah. But there's, there's different definitions of it being about you, you you know, like some of the best interviews that I've ever listened to, which were just masterful works, whether it was, you know, by Oprah, uh, there's actually some people that I guess don't necessarily need to be mentioned, but like they, they receded into the background and what they did so well was create the space. Yeah. Like, like it, 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 it's sometimes like, man, they just created the space for that moment to happen and I don't know if most other people would, I, whether that's instinct, whether that's empathy, whether that's their ear, it, 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 it's it's not always, um, you know, how would Stern, another one? Like sometimes it'll be the shortest little quip, shortest little question, but it'll, it'll set off the cascade of the next great answer that he got from his guest. So there's an art to, you know, having presence in your show without necessarily dominating the airwaves
0: yeah i think that you know it's in i I try to be very like mindful in the sense of uh i don't know everything and there's always room for me to learn and grow right i think that's a healthy place to be in but sometimes it can get a little maybe somewhat toxic for me because i'm so convinced that i don't know anything that i always think i'm doing everything wrong but that's probably not the case there's probably a lot of things i'm doing totally fine and i just need to relax and not overthink what i'm doing i think it's really easy to overthink things and get um let the overthinking turn into like a, an option paralysis and then of sort then nothing gets done especially for me in terms of like marketing you know just to like pivot back to that, you know, I'm the type of person, it's like, I've spent my whole life just like getting decent at making songs and putting them out and doing art. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I do. Um, but in terms of marketing, like I didn't spend a whole lot of time with that at all. And then one day I realized I was like, Oh crap. Like if I'm going to be Like, I need to have somebody to share my art with, right? Like, how do I tell people about it? And I don't know. Where did you, like, what was your sort of epiphany, if there was one, about, like, understanding digital marketing or marketing in general and deciding that like this was something that you wanted to dedicate, you know, a a huge chunk of your life and career to like what made the light bulb click where you were like, Oh, this is something that I'm good at because I've never once had that thought in my life. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, well, you know, I'll be the first, actually, I don't even have to be the first, my fiance would be the first to tell you that I'm not even that good of like a, a photographer, despite the fact that we're selling these types of, you know, creative services that usually involve a camera. Um, so the, I'm, I'm in a similar boat where I'm, I'm more aware of the things with that. I'm not that good at than the things that I am, but the arc, I'll try to say it relatively shortly, but it, it does all connect. I, uh, was going to the university of Pittsburgh taken political, uh, like science type of classes. And it was just utterly apparent, a little bit of political science, a little bit of a uh, history that like, man, every decision was an economic decision. Like, like they're like, we like to call it like politics, but it's really like, man, we don't have enough. So we got to do something severe. So war that's a gross oversimplification, but that's like a lot of history is basically that. And so, from there got really into economics and then they they have some of these theories in economics that are kind of wild where it's like you know people are perfectly rational economic actors that's what our model says and you just spend any time with people and it's just like people aren't rational they're not really like you know hyper calculating within Mm. every step of their decisions which takes you into a field of behavioral economics Of how people actually end up making some form of a decision. And so there was that study side in conjunction with coming out of school, not really knowing what I was doing, having a degree where, you know, between. Like people at the Career Resource Center uh, and other characters like that, like you can go be in financial services or you can go to this grad school or that grad school. And I was like, man, that's a pretty sparse menu of options. (laughs) And starting my podcast basically as a way to try to figure out, I I can tell that there are some people that don't hate what they do, that don't loathe every minute of their working day what's up with them? Like I have, if I, if I get <laughs> proximate to them, I'm going to potentially be able to figure out what's going on here. And so I started the podcast. Um, I was, uh, to, to quickly summarize financial services are highly regulated, um, for, for, usually for good reason. And as soon as it was uncovered that I was potentially even doing something like this, that was a stern talking to, which led to my near immediate resignation um and basically from that point forward i'd been in these kind of like sales financial services of selling financial products sales of a software company and just seeing how brutally hard it was to be on the other end of that smile and dial process, right? So I'm sending out cold emails. I'm making cold calls. I'm trying to basically, to use a, a simple sports metaphor, I'm trying to start at home place and get all the way around the bases. It's like, damn, there, there has to be a more effective way to get around the bases. And what it actually is, is starting on second base. So with our clients, you know, Piper has been built into a six-figure agency annual revenue in less than three years, which is pretty solid for a company our age, particularly by two first-time founders. Yeah. And the magic of it, I I try to convey this when I speak with other entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out something similar is almost 100% of the business that Piper has done has come via inbound leads Basic term: outbound leads are you're smiling, and dialing, you're cold calling. You are sending outbound messages, like you know, casting a a, a net. Basically, you're casting a fishing rod and try to pull something in repeatedly. Versus inbound, where they email you, they call you, they reach out to you and say, "I have this problem. Can you help?" So back to what I said before: that legibility of how can I help you. We've focused as a company on these different platforms, YouTube, LinkedIn, so on and so forth, making it highly legible, easy to understand how we can help, what we do, the services provide, what we are capable of. And then to say that we wait makes it seem like we are much less active than we actually are. But we are just in a perpetual state of finding novel ways to entertain, inform an audience and remind them of that answer to what we do and then bring in a... Hopefully qualified leads, someone with an actual budget to compensate us for those type of services. But that is what we've done. And, and to be candid, it's it's a it's a piecemeal thing. There was no light bulb. There was no perfect switch of like, "Hey, Aaron, you're good at this, and this is this is the path before you." No doubt. Like the first year of the business, I was such a atrociously bad entrepreneur. At one point, like we had twenty five thousand dollars in outstanding invoices past due. Meaning, we had sent people bills for work we had done, and it was not paid. Mm. And that was my incompetence as an entrepreneur, not getting sales agreements, not having a uh, structure to the deals that we were making where someone paid in advance, we were waiting for completion to pay at all. There were a litany of issues with the approach that we took, And so, you know, that was a very, very brutal lesson that I've had to learn. We don't make that mistake anymore. We make new mistakes now and hopefully they're less severe and hopefully they're less impactful, but there is a, um, you know, an awareness that we're way better than we were. There's an awareness that like I used that, that metaphor before of the 25 years in business agencies without 25 YouTube subscribers. I know that we're better than most people. I know that we get this more than they do, but you know, the, 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 challenge of any sort of expertise is you do see the the very kind of small list of skills and abilities that you're accruing but the hard work of accruing those and being aware of them comes with a coinciding faster expanding list of the things that you don't yet know that you probably should know that you need to know sometime soon or you need to find someone and get them on your team and they either need to know it or they figure it out because there's just too many problems to solve.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I have found, you know, me personally that I try to now look at any time something comes up where like, Oh, I have, I'm a ding dong. I messed up. I made a mistake. It's like, well, this is opportunity for growth. And now I understand You know, trying to learn like why something went wrong, if it was my fault or somebody else's fault, what it was, figure out the nuts and bolts of what the problem was. That way we can move forward. And then, you know, with all of this like marketing stuff, and if I don't understand how it works now, it's like, well, I can learn, try to learn and try to work on these things. And I think that it's just having a actual desire to want to do something and want to learn, I think will get you really, really far. I think there's a lot of people that just kind of, I think that no matter what, I think no matter how much money you have, I don't think you can throw, there's been plenty of times where people have thrown countless amounts of dollars at something and it hasn't done anything because there's still no story. There's no simple narrative that you kind of keep talking about, which I think is probably the most crucial thing that anybody can hear. It's just like, well, what are you really offering other people? Like what, what is it at the end of the day? Like does any, does the world need another heavy metal band? No, but the world's always looking for a new heavy metal band at the same time. It's just like, what, how do you connect those dots? Like the world doesn't need you, but if you have the right thing, the world will love you. And I think that could be said about anything, any, the world doesn't need another pizza shop. The world doesn't need another YouTube channel. The world doesn't need another uh, automobile manufacturer. But these are all things that, if you do a really good job, like people will love it and they will gravitate to it.
1: Well, I think I think what you're saying is a really good uh, totem to remind people about humility, because there are all the things that you're listing are the things where there's plenty of competition there's a lot of people trying to get on that stage there's a lot of pizza joints opening there's a lot of people that have been told that they're the prettiest and so they're going to go move to la and become a big star whatever like there's these these highly competitive fields and then there's the people that you know Clean portageons, and you don't gotta be that good at cleaning portageons to, to make some money because there's just not the same type of competition to be there. So, so really these, these marketing challenges are more severe when you're in these fields with more competition and a higher degree of replaceability for your skill set. Your band can't do it. Okay, we're gonna go find the next band. So, in those scenarios, another part of the framework is, and this is from Seth Godin is people like us do things like this. So I grew up in the North Hills, people in North Hills eat pizza from Monticello's. You'll be hard <laughs> pressed to find someone in Ross township that has, you know, a negative opinion of Monticello's. Cause that's the local pizza. joint. I know they've other locations, but that which groups so close that That's, that's what people did. Right. Um, that's a, that's a simplistic version, but you know, the, the truth is that there just isn't 100% distribution for um, an appetite for a metal band. Even Amazon Prime, which is more popular, more US adults have an Amazon Prime membership than own a gun. More P, um, uh, US adults have an Amazon Prime membership than go to church. It is a staggeringly large percentage. And yet it's not 100%. Not, it's never going to be 100%. That sounds like a totalitarian nightmare uh, that I expect us to avoid. However, they know exactly who they are serving. They position the entire service around that value add and then continue to bring um, an explosion. I just disappeared here. Is that me?
0: Boom. We're back.
1: Boom. I'm back. <laughs> um, but you know, it's the same thing. Of, of People like us do things like this. Entrepreneurs, small businesses, medium sized businesses that are trying to uh, have a more effective presence on a YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, and grow their business work with Piper. It's a very simple framing, excludes a ton of people. There's a ton of people that don't fall into that category, but that's okay. We're going to be all right. In the same sense, um, you know. Uh, maybe it's the specificity of the show. Maybe it's the message of the music. Maybe it is the, the experience that it unlocks, you know, it's overly simple, simple, but people that like to smile at a metal show, come see us. Like, like you need to have that specificity. And if you find the right form of specificity, there is going to be a market for it. If you've put in the work.
0: Mm -hmm. to execute. Yeah. I think that that is the, it's, simultaneously the simplest and the most complicated thing about being an artist is like really finding your audience and like finding like, who are you going to, who are you going to market this thing to? You know, it's like if you have, you know, a very specific style of music that you're doing, you have to find those people that like what you're doing. But something really interesting thing that's happened with me that I have found is that your audience isn't always where you think it's going to be. You know, um, like outside of my metal stuff, you know, like I have a background in hip hop and things like that. And I always thought that my hip hop crowd would be one certain demographic of people like other people that like weirdo underground experimental hip hop. I was wrong. I was way wrong. I found much more of an audience in people that liked rock music and like other types of things like there and the underground people like never really grasped onto my stuff. Even though that like, that's where all my inspiration came from. I felt like that was the kind of, that's what I was contributing to, but it wasn't, it wasn't there. You know, it's like maybe in a, in a different way, like you have a, speaking of pizza joints, right? Like you have SPAC brothers in over in Garfield. It's like, okay, it's a pizza shop, but a large chunk of their demographic is, Vegans and vegetarians that go there because they specialize in like they do like the seitan sandwiches and all that stuff and they're really good at it and they've been doing it for a long time. So it's like, okay, uh, I thought we were a pizza shop, but we found this whole we still are a pizza shop, but we found this whole new realm of a customer base and appreciation from something that really has nothing to do with the pizza. Like I found a, a, yeah. a I found a fan base in something that really had nothing to do with rap. And I think that there's just, again, looking outside of the typical places. Um, It could be, I mean, it, it seems like maybe risky or maybe a little bit scary to like take those chances. But if you don't take those chances, then how can you really grow? I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of people in the world, but, you know, they all like different things for different reasons. You know, there are some people that I know that like, don't like heavy metal bands particular, to keep on that that topic, but they will like go see this one band live because they like watching the drummer, like, oh, the band is a crazy drummer, and they're a lot of fun live, or like you know like i don't maybe I don't really like pizza places all this much, but this place has like a brick oven, and that's okay, so I like that kind of stuff, or I like Cecilia, like you know, if you can have that different thing, you could still bring people in from unexpected places
1: and the starting point is run it as a smaller experiment, right? So those there's, there's young 19 year old, early 20 year old kids, they can throw some stuff at the wall. And if it doesn't stick, it's like, okay, on to the next one. When someone puts million of millions of dollars into a new development on the strip, they better know that people are coming to rent that out, to, to, to spend their money there, because that's a sizable upfront investment. Yeah. And as long as, you know, I think digital media is a perfect outlet for this, as long as you have the outlet for the very low stakes experiments and mentally you're in a place where we're throwing stuff against the wall, people don't like it. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. We back at it again next week. Then you have the ability to at least potentially get the data for what that thing is. And then it it, it coincides with, are you open? You have a very good friend. He says the primary objective in a man's life is to become more open. Your ideal state is to live in uh, perpetual, complete openness. And that's very metaphorical. It's hard to kind of grasp onto. I still struggle with exactly what that means. But I dig that idea that, you know, the 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 folks that kind of see the next wave that they're going to catch, the folks that, you know, can have the confidence to place that really big bet. I've spent a lot of time being open, taking in and running those experiments so that when it like, that's another big moment, right? When are you actually going to go pot committed? When are you actually going to push all the chips in on something and have confidence that it can work? And that's, you know, we'll see if it, if that plays out accurately for me. But that is uh, definitely the the pattern that I hope um, more folks can take advantage of.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, I, I want to get into this. Without, you know, talking for another hour, because I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm about to open up a can of worms, but quickly, okay. quickly, I'm curious because, you know, what are your personal thoughts um, in terms of the sort of what we'll call DIY marketing that social media platforms have introduced to business owners and creators like, like a, like a Facebook business suite or, you know, boosting posts on Instagram, et cetera. What are your thoughts as, you know, somebody that does this from like a more, uh, what would that be? Uh, you're, 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 you're in a much bigger, bigger headspace in terms of how these things work outside of social media platforms. But you know, for me, it's really easy to be like, Oh, my band put out this new song and it's on here. I put the YouTube link on Facebook and they're like, give us 10 bucks and we'll show it to three people. And you're like, okay. You know, like what, what is this? Is this like totally bullshit or is this more just like, you got to understand how it works? Uh, you got. You have
1: to understand how it works, and I always bring it down. So, so at its core, like the way to understand me, if people haven't, they probably already come to their own conclusions. But the way to understand me is as a business nerd. I just think the way business works is fascinating, and the way in which bad actors can continue until they can't, and the way certain people just continue to ring up success after success after success. And the business models that underpin that, how do they set themselves up to succeed? And so I always talk about these social platforms as a pure supply and demand curve back to my economics background. Right? So if you can remember, uh, when I was i am trying to think of when I even got on Facebook, maybe I was like a senior in high school or something like that, probably a little bit before that, but you would see every single post of your friends and you probably spent a lot of time on your friends' profiles because there just wasn't that much content. There wasn't that much supply for the attention that you were bringing to the platform. So you saw more or less it all. Every time someone changed a relationship status, oh my gosh, can you believe that you know, so-and-so mm-hmm. ended things with so-and-so. And slowly but surely, more and more posting happened. And Facebook said, okay, let's port posting from personal pages over to company pages. And then those company pages saw their organic reach decline, 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 until it reached that point exactly like you're saying, where, Hey buddy, you want to, you want this scene, you, you're going to have to uh, pay up. And Instagram has basically gone through a similar nexus here over the last four years or so, where it went from explosive organic growth all over the place and the slow decline into less and less organic reach to, to uh, you know get in front of people's eyeballs as a company. Since we founded, Piper has seen enormous growth. A ton of those inbound leads via LinkedIn because in 2018, LinkedIn introduced uh, content being uploaded to the feed and the eventual um, ability to put videos and uh, photos and these decks. And we got a ton of leads from that because a lot of companies weren't comfortable publishing content there. They didn't take it seriously as a platform, all sorts of reasons. And so we benefited from that. So the the, the kind of core answer there to should I be a user generated content producer on one of these platforms? I would say that the ship has sailed for Facebook. There there aren't acts breaking on Facebook anymore. There are highly capitalized. St- Startups acquiring customers via Facebook ads, but that is usually after they have proven product market fit. Maybe they've run some experiments there with like a little budget, but that's basically where they started. Conversely, I have another friend who I believe they just raised a Series A, they are a uh, men's cosmetics brand, and they have acquired a majority of their business and brand equity through free posting on TikTok, organic posts, not paid for distribution, Mm. just the sweat, the hard work, the discipline of posting there consistently and have cultivated an audience of people who are interested in a kind of subtle, refined, thoughtfully designed men cosmetics uh, suite of products. And so it is the, the, the kind of moving target of once again, the supply and demand, there's a ton of demand. There's a ton of eyeballs looking for content on TikTok, opening the app with consistency, spending dozens of minutes on the app. And so there is this demand for content and a supply that is increasing rapidly. And TikTok is increasing their ad load. Uh, even over the last couple of months, they've increased their ad load, which once again is, is kind of a, a proxy for that organic reach tanking but it's still in the early stages. You know, if, if you had gotten really freaking serious about Instagram four years ago, you'd be in a, you'd be in a better spot now because it, that's, you know, where things were. I'd say TikTok is somewhere in that range. Maybe, maybe a little before that, maybe a little after that, it's hard to be sure. But I think that you have to, if you don't have any money, if, if, if you are, if you're rubbing two nickels together and you're trying to get something started through sweat equity, through grid, you got to take a platform like that seriously. I think you can be taken LinkedIn seriously. I, I think that just, you know, like six, like you do, you do a good job with your production. You have good gear. You have that type of stuff. If you were telling me about the business of heavy metal or the business of music with uh, you know, a weekly LinkedIn piece of content, I would consume that. I'd be fascinated by that. And I'm sure I'm not alone. And so, you got to play the game from that supply and demand standpoint, understand that these businesses live on attention. They sell ads against the attention that they accrue. And so they need great content and they will elevate great content. Um, it's an extreme example. And, and I understand why someone call them a sellout, but like, you know, you got these uh, TikTok stars, Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Ray, uh, Josh Richards that have literally gone from teenage nobodies to international celebrities and multi-million dollar brands Mm -hmm. for free, free content, free distribution. I'm not saying you need to dress in a tight outfit and dance because that those are just the extreme examples that I think have the highest chance of someone being familiar with, but there are enormous businesses. Peter's pasta here in, uh, in Pittsburgh, he's left his job as a chef to be a full-time content creator around pasta creation with more than, I think it's over a million followers on, TikTok. There's cold cuts. Another local kid here who I believe is also a million um followers on TikTok, doing different kind of pratfall type of stunts and and physical stunts and dunking the basketball. Yeah. And so you know this stuff is is very very possible for the talented. Like it's it, it's it's not it's not a handout. It's not free, I, I, but it, it yeah. is.
0: So I think that that is the biggest thing, which also probably loops back to this. Uh, common thread of humility that we have discussed time and time again over this conversation. I think that you can understand how all of this works, but if you have shitty product, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So there's like such a, like it's so easy too to get caught up as an artist or as a pizza shop or whatever, like in like, okay, like nobody's paying attention to what I'm doing because my reach sucks. That's good, but you need to make sure that you're still focusing on making good content. So, you know, maybe you do knock something out the park. Like you have, you know, the right, the right image that catches enough people's attention with the right, like hashtags or at the right time, the right person sees it share, you know, whatever. But if it's like crap, it's not going to have that, uh, like the retention or like a repeat customer. That you had also mentioned before so it's like you can maybe find a way to break the cycle now and then Cause it, it'll happen with me where like you know i'll have a post that's like oh this didn't get too many likes this one didn't get too many likes then i have one that has like 800 to you know like the 800 more likes than something that would normally like out of nowhere and i'm like what was it about this post you know was it the time that I posted it? there's no nothing that's really unique is it the 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 cover image that's on it? Is that what got more people to look at it like what how did this one work when it's like very much in line with everything else that I've done and like trying to figure that out is always really interesting to me. It's like, well, maybe is this post just Good. Is this one, is there something that's fundamentally better about this particular thing than the other things? I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I, I can't step outside of my, like outside of myself enough to analyze it. Like from the outsider perspective to tell like why particular posts do better than others.
1: And it's so hard because, like, literally, will. So, like, I, I have a an editor on my team. He edits the the weekly business news show that we do, the Piper Rundown. And we were just talking about like the intros because, you know, YouTube, for example, what the, the there's only two metrics that matter on YouTube. If anyone's trying to build on YouTube, it is your click through rate and your viewer retention. Everything else doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter when you post. Doesn't really matter like if you say the word baloney in the first three sentences or like whatever the thing is. <laughs> it is those two things. Right. And we were talking about that video retention and how there's these other channels that do better than us that have longer intros to create these open loops to get someone to the fifth, seventh, eighth minute of the video because they've kind of set you up to be expecting what's coming. Just like, you know, a, a good movie does foreshadowing, right? And it has that teaser at the beginning. So we had this like very simple epiphany of like, let's make this a two sentence intro instead of a one sentence intro. And what do you know? It had a positive impact on our view duration, but it's like, oh, how are we so dense to not get that for two fricking years of doing this? Mm-hmm. And so the, the core, once again, is the humility to say like, it's not good enough. The, the reason it's not bigger, the reason we don't have better view duration is us. It's not the viewers. It's not them. They want to find the next great thing. I don't know. Like, what's what's your favorite TV show you've you've watched recently?
0: Are you asking me? Yeah, A Discovery of Witches. It's on okay. Shutter. Were
1: were you were you gassed when you found that? When you realized that you would come across like your next new yeah. favorite show? Totally, totally. Like that's that is generally the approach that people are taking. Whether it's YouTube, whether it's a podcast, whether it's whatever, if people aren't default like, oh, screw everything a hundred percent of the time, particularly screw like your personal content, whoever's listening to this, people are very excited to potentially come across their next new favorite thing. And, you know, like I think about like, you know, c- certain people be like, oh, you know, like I'm just watching Sopranos for the first time or something. And you're like, oh man, I know what's coming. I know like mm-hmm. what's coming in season, whatever. And, and you had that like feeling like all oh, the first time, right? That could be you. But you have to do the work of recognizing you're not there yet. And that's that's what I'm doing. That's what I encourage everyone to do. And candidly, that's what the best people have done. Like Quentin Tarantino was not satisfied with his performance in the first movie he ever made. He kept studying the craft, watching, I don't know how many movies that dude has watched or how many movies Tom Cruise has watched in order to become iconic figures in the world of cinema, but they've taken in so much in order to be able to have the fantastic output that they do. I have a very good friend. His name's Alan Gannett. He wrote a book called The Creative Curve, and he interviewed all sorts of fantastic creatives, every domain, right? Poets, uh, the head of content, Ted Sarandos for Netflix, musicians, everyone. And the number one thing that is also backed up by like hardcore academic research is you have to take in a lot of good stuff in the domain that you're trying to be uh, great at, and really, really study what it is that makes them good. And then, if you can be clear-eyed in comparison to where you are, it'll give you some some breadcrumbs on the path forward. You know, like we started off doing uh, basically like with our, with our business show, we started doing this. Like the idea was a blending of the barstool rundown and like Bloomberg. So Bloomberg is this like hardcore, like financial business news show where everyone's like in a tie and they're all can't really, like talking shit. Uh, they're just like speaking bullshit. Pardon me. Yeah. And barstool is this like very kind of casual, literally like they're on a barstool type of, of position you know, just shooting the shit about sports, I kind of talking about it like a common person. And we trying to blend those two, we're trying to talk about business like a common person because we just didn't see that anywhere. And the first episodes sucked, sucked (laughs) royally in every single sense. We didn't even have an opening teaser intro. We didn't have really tight explanations of the stories we wanted to cover. The graphics were garbage. Like I can go on and on and on, but it was just a little piecemeal, strip it away, strip it away, strip it away. And what do you know, 200 episodes later, you know, we we have you know comments where people are saying this was the best explanation of the you know GreenSill Bank uh, fraud story that I've come across. This is the you know most valuable um, explanation that I've seen of the forthcoming whoever IPO, and it's it's a lot of hard work. It's it's not sexy and i'm not trying to make myself sound cooler than i am by by going through this but it's just candor about what it takes like what i wish i had if, if we can put ourselves in the back of the shoes of that you know 19 20 21 year old uh aspiring hip-hop star that might come through or anyone that's listening to this it's like it's so much more work than you expect it to be it, 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 why it would be worth it if it wasn't
0: yeah 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 i think that you know it's it's not it's very interesting to see because I've had so many conversations with so many different artists from all different genres and walks of life. And like, there's so many common threads where it's always like, what do I do next? Like, what is the, the next, like, how do I, that's, that's the, it's almost it's like literally like equivalent to like, what is the meaning of life? Like, how do I get through this this ceiling and it seems like it's so easy to like you know you get into these rabbit hole conversations about um algorithms and youtube analytics and facebook boosts and all of these things that i think they do help but it's you know i already said it earlier it's like okay is the content good are you telling you know a story that's easy to tell. Is this something that has a clear focus that is being marketed to, you know, uh, a specific demographic of people, but is simple enough that people from outside that demographic can latch on and want to be a part of it too. You know, like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's very, it seems like it's all so much more simple than my brain. Oh, Wants it to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I use this refrain all the time. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Yeah. Most of the stuff is simple, right? Like, if you want to get in shape, everyone knows, got to go for more runs, eat more vegetables. It's simple. It ain't easy. I love Oreos. Like, I love (laughs) Kool Aid. You know what I mean? Like, it's not easy, but it's simple And, and it's across the board. And it's so easy, I think, to get to get spun up in whatever personal narrative you have about why it's not the simple thing like it's it's very seductive to come up with the complex whatever when it's it's probably simpler than that there's a you know the the occam's razor idea it's usually the simplest explanation is the right one not always but usually the simplest explanation mm-hmm. is the right answer and i just kind of default to that hopefully that gives me more energy to to pour into the work to pour into the content to pour into that side of it i ride with the simple answers most of the time and and to, to i want to add one other other basic thing that i just forgot to mention cuz you're asking about like the 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 arc of getting into digital media or realizing it was good. And I, I just want to put this note there too. It's highly biological. What I mean by that is, is, it's very easy to look at your phone or to talk about it as digital and you know the new blah, 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 blah. It's humans at the other side of that screen, watching your YouTube video Mm -hmm. in, you know, if you're in someone's uh, earbuds listening to your mute and they're listening to your music through Spotify or whatever, and it's digital, blah, blah, blah. They're humans. They have human responses. They have the same general, um, you know, menu of emotions. There's a, a pretty well-defined range of what their intellectual horsepower is. there's exceptions. There are you know those crazy three derivative uh, tails uh, in these cases, but more often than not, these are humans and they operate very similarly they they have their different nuances, cultures, backgrounds, tastes, of course. but you know a proxy for trust is how many times have you been around me and not hurt me? That seems like weirdly simple, but that's basically how our brains were hardwired to engender trust in primitive cultures. Back when it was you know the, the tribe of 140 people um, you know, out in the woods somewhere, you knew every single one of those faces in that tribe. Mm-hmm. And if a new face showed up, you were skeptical. <laughs> Default skepticism, because that kept you alive. Mm-hmm. But if that person showed up and all your buddies kind of accepted them and they didn't hurt anyone. Maybe not day two, maybe not day three, but after some certain point in time, you came to feel comfortable with them. So in that same sense, not that trust is necessarily the, the kind of, I mean, trust is still the core presupposition of someone wanting to come to your show. They're trusting you that you're going to give them a good time. They're mm-hmm. trusting you that you're going to bring the noise and, you know, come with a, an entertainment value to, to which they've become accustomed. Yeah. But, you know, that, that's consistency. So, so, so in the digital marketing sense, I think of it all as that. In the same way, like, I'll tell our photographer, I'll tell the person editing the video, bring it closer to my face because anyone whose face you've seen this closely you trust a little bit more, unless I'm like really like shifty with like beady eyes and looking all over the place. If you've looked at my face for an hour, you will trust me more in the future. Now I'm going to take that trust very seriously. I'm not going to like, you know, turn that into everyone being in my like ornate pyramid scheme. That's at least that's the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, those, those are basic proxies for biological functions. We're still trying to biologically get people to rally around our cause in a tribe. We're much bigger, global, digitally connected tribe, but we're biological beings at the end of the day. And if you can understand that, you can understand why, you know, um, you know, certain pop acts all look... Very similar because they're <laughs> hacking the same basic biological instincts that we have as human beings. And it's, it's gross. It's not, it's not, you know, comfortable to say,
0: but that's how the world works. Sure. No, that that's a very, very intelligent and thoughtful way to look at things. And I think that I've thought that before in the past as well, but I don't know if I've ever been able to like, verbally articulate it out loud into words that made sense to another human being. So congratulations on that. I think that uh, you know, yeah, we we are human and it's, you know, I guess it's like that whole dumb conversation where people will have like, like oh, like, why is so and so popular and why is this and this that? It's like, look at it. I mean, you understand like it doesn't take much to understand why like Some of like these, you know, people like on TikTok are getting popular for dancing, right? It's like, well, you know, it's like, what does a lot of culture value like, you know, youth and beauty and, uh, you know, dancing around and being all fun, charisma, charisma will get you a long way too. So if you're like young and attractive and very charismatic and just entertaining to watch, no wonder that like people can blow up on TikTok. If, they, if you have all of those things, it's like a cocktail for success, especially when people are going on TikTok most of the time, just to kind of like tune out the outside world. They're just looking for like a visual snack. So if you can exactly. be that like visual snack, then it's of course it's going to lead to success.
1: But, you know, I talked about Peter's Pasta. So this a Pittsburgh guy, 1 million followers. He makes pasta on TikTok. And and I hope you won't hurt you know be hurt by me saying this, but people aren't there because he's just like some Adonis. He's a good looking dude, but that, that's people are there because he can put together novelty, entertainment, and information. Oh yeah. It's it's entertaining to just, you know, the way he presents it, the way he cuts it, the way he edits those videos together. It's novel in the sense that I didn't really know how pasta was made before he showed me and he was like, you know, carving these things off. And then it's also informational. I'm sorry, it's also informational because. I'm learning it in something I never otherwise would have. So there's another biological necessity. We have these biological necessities like I don't have enough info. I don't have enough yet. No one is actually like I just don't I don't care about anything whatsoever and never learning again. That's someone who is, you know, yeah. knocking on uh, a real risky door.
0: Do you, do you remember like those old segments in like the Mr. Rogers episodes where they would show how different shit got made? yeah I remember there was one when they showed how cray- how crayons get made, and that was like the shit, dude. It was so cool. And like, it's like I think that like, a lot of people have like probably some sort of an attachment to things like that where like you like it's being presented in a way cause that show was it was made for kids, right? So it's being presented in a very simple way. and it's like something that's like a common everyday thing whether it's the crayons or something else that was on the show and you're presenting it in a way where people were like, Oh, I know what that is. And I think most human beings have like a, like a biologically programmed sense of curiosity. So if you can tap it's into survival that, mechanism. yeah, if you tap into that, you could definitely keep people's attention for at least a minute or so. But then let's like, it gets kind of weird too. it gets weird whenever you tap into like, well, what is it you're trying to put out there? And like for me, it's like, you know, my, I don't have a TikTok account. I haven't made one. I, I don't really have any plan to. I see the value in it. But for like what I do, it's like, it do is my, what I actually want to create like artistically, can I actually translate that to TikTok in a way that's appropriate for the platform? Or am I just going to like be creating content that isn't really what people on that platform want to engage with content that I really don't want to make in the first place. So then there's like this whole, there's like bad juju around the concept of it for me that I don't think would be very beneficial. I got to be in like a better mindset. Like if I don't want to do something and I do it anyways, I feel like that's going to come out in the end product. I
1: totally agree, and I think that you know the beauty of being entrepreneurial in any domain is you do ultimately get to choose to do what you want to do. Now, if you're overly self-serving to infinity, then you're not serving anyone else yeah. through that aim. But you know, it, it's it's all it's all the mindset of what you're bringing to the platform. If you're if you're bringing there, saying you know. I'm going to teach you kids a thing or two about heavy metal and I'm going to make you appreciate it because you probably like, you know, I, I use the sports analogy more than music just because that's where I'm more comfortable. But I always say that the folks that don't like a sport usually have not played it or tried to play it. Some stuff is so obviously crazy, like, you know, luge where they're just like riding down a hill and, mm-hmm. and you've kind of done that anyways, cause you've like gone sledding or something, Yeah, but it, it's so obviously absurd that it's like captivating. But if you've tried to do a sport, it makes your appreciation for the master of that thing greater. And I'd argue in the same sense, um, you know, someone who is a master of something, whether it be history or a musical genre, are so excited about it that they can usually articulate something of what makes it great. So yeah. the flip side would be, if you said, I hear a lot of you TikTokers are listening to hip-hop, which I like, pop music, which I like, but you're not really into heavy metal. Let me explain why you should be. Sure. What I've just done is create this open loop in the intro of the little clip that would potentially, you know, not 100% of people, but some percent of people like, okay, I'll give this a shot. Pitch me on, you know, heavy metal. And then however you would go about doing that, what, whatever you think is like the act to consume or the piece of art, and, and maybe it's too short. I am... I, I, empathetic to all those arguments. But yeah, it's, it, it's all about the mentality that what am I here to do? People like us do things like what are those people here? Am I trying to tell
0: them that we're up to something? So there, there's three things. One is, you know, I think the sports analogy is can relate to music. Cause I think there's a thing where it's like, you know, say I don't understand how like the nuance of football or hockey. And like watching hockey and what the plays are, what makes something a good or a bad decision. I don't understand, but I can watch maybe like, like skiing or like snow, like some extreme sports. It's like something simple. And I think the equivalent is like watching somebody play guitar versus watching somebody play drums. I feel like if you have no understanding of how the drums are played, you see somebody playing and you see, the instant reaction to them. And like, you could probably easily watch a drum playthrough. So like, Oh, I see what's happening, but you watch somebody playing guitar and you see it, but you don't understand the nuance of what each of the chords and the notes are. right? Right. So, uh, there's that, uh, two, you know, I think that something that I'm very aware of and paranoid about is being like these old 25 year old marketing companies that you mentioned of that have like this shit presence on YouTube because they've ignored all of these things that are obvious that are right there because they just have a very dumb understanding of what it is. Like I just like me automatically assuming that TikTok isn't for me is probably me being that 25 year old company. Like maybe I should just shut up and try it out and see what happens because what's the worst case scenario. What am I going to do? Either not have a TikTok account and create content on there, or am I just gonna keep posting stuff on Facebook? <laughs> like, okay, like what's more of a waste of my time right now? I feel like I yeah. can if I ask 20 people like, hey, should I be posting on Facebook or TikTok? Most of them are probably gonna be like TikTok. So why am I still <laughs> posting on Facebook?
1: And it would be fascinating data who said Facebook and who said TikTok and who you're actually trying to reach because I think yeah. you actually spoke to those twenty people and you saw like the four people that are like
0: Facebook, yeah, and
1: that's, yeah, the people. I don't even know if that's the metaphor, but I think that that's yeah. It's
0: it's, it's it's interesting. I think that um, I don't I don't think this was your intention by any means, but just this conversation has made me feel a lot more like. I should just fucking download it and try it. Why not? Why not? I think that my agenda just needs to be like, so I think I'm all, I've always overcomplicated it because I, it's like, would it be podcast focused? Would it be focused on the band? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, it seems like, well, all the people really give a fuck about on TikTok is personalities. So it just has to be me. And I need to find a way to just be myself and like, oh, yeah, okay. Maybe my song is in the background or maybe this has something to do. It's tied into a podcast, but it just needs to be like me and not promoting anything, but in a way creating brand awareness through just me being me seems simple. Yeah. It seems simple, but it's scary too. Well,
1: I, I mean, I think, I think part, one of your, one of your advantages that you would have is you're funny. Like, like you have some, some personality in conjunction with the expertise. And if you think about like a standard joke, there's a buildup, a punchline, it's, it's, it's this, you know, accelerating tension and release of tension. Right. Mm-hmm. And if your TikTok's constrained to a minute, I don't know if you consumed a lot of Vine back in the day, but like, it's very much about these condensed narratives, these condensed jokes, these very simple ideas. And that's hard to do for people. It's hard to convey a lot in a short period of time. And you've had the reps do all this other content that you've done. Like the, when, we, when we started, what I said to our team was, I'm watching kids shooting video on some busted ass old iPhone doing well. We have a camera, we have a real mic. We have, we're purportedly decent storytellers. Mm-hmm. If you guys can't figure this out, we aren't as good as we think we are. Yeah. And so to me, that, that, that's the starting point there. And like, I don't have the answer. You're not going to have the answer. You're not going to have the answer after doing your first two posts on TikTok as to whether it's podcast. Or mute, like whatever the the thing will be. But, you know, uh, maybe this will be the the thing we wrap up on because I do have a a call that I have to hop on. Oh, yeah, totally,
0: totally, dude. We have
1: um, a framework called the four C's. And the four C's are consume, comment, curate, and then create. And whenever, you know, candidly, I'm usually telling this to older Gen Xers or like boomers trying to get comfortable on LinkedIn. But it's the same framework for any any platform. You start by consuming. You got to spend time there taking stuff in, deciding what you like, what you don't like. Why don't you like it? Why do I like this? Why is this working? Then thoughtfully commenting on the stuff you like to add your 2 cents, because that's like the, the entree into actually creating on a platform like that, and curating. So if you like something... You know, with TikTok, it's a very easy share feature. But if you've got a, you know, a partner in your life, a friend, if you're sending them your favorite stuff, and they're like, "Yeah, that was good," in some way, shape, or form, now you're getting a better barometer for what quality is, and then you can move on to creation. For someone like you who creates as much as you like I don't even necessarily know if that's that may be too rudimentary, but for the like average person out there, if they are trying to figure out what the entree is into some form of creative work. To me, that's the playbook. You end up creating, once you are already, a thoughtful consumer and curator of quality.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah. That makes sense to me. Totally, totally. And I think that that's probably something that I've already been doing, but I've just never said it out loud again. You're good at putting your words out there Out of out of your mouth hole into the atmosphere. I'm not I'm not so good at that. It's everything just kind of gets static up here, and then it just comes out like the. Yeah, that's
1: it's my only job. It's it's Hannah's job to to make me look good, and hopefully I can make it sound.
0: (laughs) Well, shit, dude. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, I just, I looked, I just looked over at the time and I was like, wow, we went for quite, quite a hoot and while, but this is stuff that I'm genuinely interested in. And I very rarely get to have conversations like this. So I appreciate you taking the time. man.
1: Yeah. I'm happy to uh, hopefully have the even more conversation again in the future. And if anyone has watched all the way to the end and has more thoughts, questions, anything happy to, uh, you know, start a conversation. I'm on all the platforms relatively easy to find and, uh, happy to continue the conversation in any way, shape or form.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to do my outro and I'm going to let you get going on with the rest of your, your busy professional day.
1: (laughs) All All right. right. Uh, is it, is a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Cool, man. And that is all folks. Thanks so much for being here one more time. Aaron Watson. Yeah. I'll be back again next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat 2021. Woo, woo. Thanks for listening. And we are done, my friend. That is a podcast. Just going to fade this out. And uh, that's it. We did it. Thank you. Good stuff, dude.